Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Amen. As you're sitting, sitting, won't you look at somebody and say, our king is victorious. Amen. Revelations 5 will say it this way, to him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb be blessings and honor and glory forever and ever. I'm so delighted and excited to be uh, gathered with God's people today. If we have a victorious king, that means that we are victorious people. And I'm happy to be uh, gathered with you today. Y'all look real good today for some reason. Y'all look like y'all got some rest. Y'all look refreshed and uh, I'm excited to see you guys. Um, you know, our times of being able to gather together really, really is um, it's like a gas station. It's a it's a place that we come to huddle up so that we can get refueled and refreshment so that we can go back out and be salt and light, uh, as Matthew five tells us. And so I'm excited to be able to join you today uh, with my brothers and sisters, but equally excited to preach today. So grab your Bibles. If you'll indulge me, grab your Bibles and meet me in John chapter five. John chapter five. Hey, listen, I just want to reaffirm something that um, that Lamique said during announcements, which is our fourth Wednesday night prayer and Bible study. I'm so excited about it. This this really is one of our last uh, of the year. In fact, I think this might be our last one because uh, fourth Wednesday night in November uh, falls around um, falls around Thanksgiving. And so uh, and then December, we, we usually don't do fourth Wednesday night. And so we might have one in October, but listen, please, please, please be dialed in, be ready. Uh, if you could be here, my prayer actually has been that this room would uh, look like this on Wednesday, that everybody uh, would be able to come. And, you know, one of the things we try to do is we get on our knees from seven to seven thirty or seated or, how, or seated, however you want to pray. There is no posture that's uh, acceptable versus not acceptable. The Lord just wants to hear your prayers. And so we want to get in this room to really pray to the Lord. Uh, but I'm also calling the church to a corporate wide, wide fast that day. The Bible says that some things only come by fasting and praying. And we've been praying and praying and praying for a, uh, a larger facility that can hold us all into one service. And uh, I have actually been praying for more spiritual maturity and more discipleship. And so my hope is that we could fast together as a body. And so at 12 uh, a.m. on the 25th, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, We'll do a corporate wide fast and we'll fast all the way to six o'clock, which means no food, skip breakfast, skip lunch, uh, turn off your social media, no web browsing unless it's for work so that we can all just get plugged in and really hear from the Lord. I, I really believe that many of us are missing the voice of the Lord because we're so distracted with everything else in our lives. And so it, it, decluttering our lives is really good to do every now and then. So we'll do that together. If you come here at six o'clock, we will have food here at six o'clock uh, for you to break the fast. Uh, we like to break together as family. And so um, very informal night, very intimate night. Be here at six. We'll, you can eat from six to seven and then we'll, we'll shut it down in terms of food so that we can pray, get into, get into the word, talk about wisdom, uh, which I'm excited about. Many of us are making decisions every single day. Uh, but we're making them prayerless without any biblical thought. And so I think it's important for us to understand uh, life's decisions biblically. So we'll talk about wisdom. So please be here, not this Wednesday, next Wednesday for our prayer and our Bible study. Uh, all right. We're in John chapter five today. You might note that we were in John chapter six last week uh, when we were together. Uh, but the Lord is calling us to back that thing up one chapter 
And so we'll be in John chapter 5. All right. <laughs> See, if I just keep talking, I say crazy stuff. So let me just get in the word. Verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there were in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. Somebody say Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades in in these lay a multitude of invalids. Watch who's here. Blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there and he was an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time and said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps in before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and took up his bed and walked. Now the day now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. And he answered them and said, the man who healed me said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is this man that said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Underline verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Uh, I want to preach today. In fact, I, I want you guys to help me announce the topic, but I need you to get your Brooklyn swag on. Look at somebody and say, son, son. you got to say it like you from Brooklyn, son. son. I'm tired of being stuck. Look at somebody else and say, son, I'm tired of being stuck. Let's look to the Lord in prayer before we dig in. Uh, Father, I, I really am, no, no, no hyperbole, I am amazed that every single week you use filthy rags to accomplish your mission. It is unbelievable to me, oh God, that you use people that are the most unlikely people and you use them for your glory. And I think you do that, Lord, because if they had any eloquence of their own, oh God, you, 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 you wouldn't get the glory. They, they would take that from you. And so, Father, I pray, oh God, that you would do it again today, that you would use me, oh God, for your glory and that you would use all of us to hear your word. Thank you for your grace, oh God, in giving us your Bible. You did not have to give us a word to, to, to be a compass to our life and uh, to, to really correct us where we're wrong. But Father, we, we believe and trusted your word today. And so we pray, oh God, that I would preach from it and not add anything to it, not take anything away from it, oh God, but that we would be faithful to your word. May Jesus be glorified today through the text. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm tired of feeling stuck. Uh, on Friday, I uh, took a quick trip to Detroit, and so it was a less than 24-hour trip. I jumped on a flight uh, heading to Detroit, and when I got onto the plane, uh, there was a seat that had a arm, uh, one of the armrests was broken. Apparently, you can't fly the plane without the, the armrest. So therefore, uh, the, the flight attendant called the uh, maintenance crew to come in and fix this this armrest. And so they came up about 30 minutes. It wasn't too long. About 30 minutes it delayed us while they were fixing the armrest. And and then finally, we were ready to push back from the gate and, and take off. And we pushed back. We were going and we were stopping and we were moving and we were stopping before we took off. And 
the pilot got onto the intercom and he said that we were third in line for takeoff. And no lie, as soon as he finished giving that announcement, an elderly guy about three rows in front of me pressed the call, uh, the, the, the call attendant uh, button and the attendant runs up, the flight attendant runs up and uh, she says, how can I help you? The plane's about to take off. And he says, ma'am, I got to use the bathroom. She said, you got to wait until we get in the air. He's elderly. And he's like, no, I, I can't wait. This is an emergency. I have to go to the bathroom. And so she allows him to go to the bathroom. And I didn't know this, but the plane can't take off if somebody's in the bathroom. And so the flight attendant calls the pilot and, and I guess uh, delays the flight even more. And, you know, I, I'm aggravated at this point. <laughs> I'm a little tight with the old man. I'm like, sir, just sit in your, your seat and pee on yourself. You <laughs> You old, so we gonna be like, it's all right anyway. <laughs> anyway, but he sits back down and the flight is ready to take off. And I'm like, we're, we were third in line, so we must be first. And then the flight, the, the pilot gets back on and he says, uh, due to the delay, we were pushed back to number 14 for takeoff. <laughs> for 45 minutes, we sat on the runway waiting to take off. So we finally, you see, y'all would have been tight with the elderly man too. <laughs> Y'all was judging me, but I was like, bro, you messed us up. <laughs> so we finally take off. It's not a long flight from New York to Detroit. It's about an hour and a half. And we land the plane. We deplane. Uh, and I'm rushing at this point because I'm a little late. And so uh, I, I get into an Uber. I get on I-94 in Detroit and bumper to bumper traffic. I mean, it felt like we were in a parking lot. You, you ever been in that type of traffic that you just like, you would rather walk on the highway? <laughs> In fact, I mapped it out. I put it in my phone. I said, three miles from the hotel. I can walk three miles. Like, I was considering getting out because it was in standstill traffic. And I hate traffic, partly because I don't understand traffic. I just, I don't, I don't understand, like, if we're all going one direction, if we're all going the speed limit, we should be all right. But people want to stop and look at accidents. That's dangerous because you can cause more accidents. And so I don't understand traffic. In fact, there's three things I hate in life. Uh, slow Wi-Fi, bad coffee, and traffic. I, I just don't, I don't like traffic, but those two delays in my life uh, on Friday really had me feeling stuck. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. I couldn't get off the plane and walk to Detroit. I, I couldn't take a Uber to Detroit. I was already on the plane and I had to do, all I had to do was just sit there. That's all I could do. When I was in the, the, the traffic, all I could do was just sit there in traffic and my guess and my experience in life is that most of us in this room don't just feel stuck with delays in flights and in traffic, but most of us in this room feel stuck in life. That there are some situations that just have your feet feeling like they're in cement. And uh, I, I just really believe that most of us in this room want more out of life. We don't like the feeling of feeling stuck. You know, we want more out of our marriage. You know, we're tired of arguing. We, we want more out of our careers. You know, you have uh, those entrepreneurial desires, but the way you're checking in your savings is set up, got you feeling stuck. Most of us want more out of our health. We want more out of our finances. We want more out of relationships. We tired of picking the wrong one. And so we, we just want more. We want more, but we currently feel Stuck in, and for some reason, God led me to John chapter five, and I think He led me there because it's going to help all of us collectively get unstuck today. I believe that this passage is going to help us and crystallize the avenues out of the situations that we are in. We can get free today because the man in the text gets free. The Bible tells me that there's a man that 
He's laying by a pool in Bethesda, called Bethesda. The Bible tells me he's there for 38 years. Now, what's so interesting about John writing about this, this, this passage is that John is the only one that writes about it. Matthew doesn't write about it. Mark doesn't write about it. Luke doesn't write about it. But when John picks up the paper, the pen to write on the paper, uh, an important event, he writes about this story, which nobody else wrote about. And John often wrote about very important events in the life of Jesus. In fact, John opens up in John chapter one and he talks about the divinity of Christ. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt or skeneoed in the Greek among us. I love the way the, the message Bible says it says he moved in the neighborhood. And so John opens up like that. And then he goes on in chapter one and he talks about how Jesus chose the first disciples Getting to chapter two, and he shows us one of his most powerful the, uh, miracles, a miracle that I actually like, where he takes water and turns it into Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. You get to chapter three and you get to see Jesus interaction with a man named Nicodemus, where Nicodemus says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, unless you're born of water, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He says, because that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. You get to chapter four and Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman by the well and he changes her life with one encounter. By the way, she's had five bad encounters with men. She encounters Jesus for the first time and he changes her life. Finally, we get to chapter four and he opens up with this story of a man that is laying poolside at Bethesda. Now, 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 I really like this story because I think this story really is going to help us corporately today, today to get unstuck. But I think it's going to help you as individuals today as well. Before I dig into the text, do me a favor on your notes and your phone. Uh, I, I don't know how you take notes on your laptop, whatever the case may be. If you could write a couple of areas down as we're working through the text, write a couple of areas down of, of, of areas that you feel stuck in. I don't know if it's maybe it's multiple areas. Maybe it's just life in general. Do me a favor and be honest about it. I feel stuck in this relationship. I feel stuck on this job. And if you're really honest, I feel stuck in this marriage. Write those down so that we can work our way uh, out of being stuck so that we can be free, free in Jesus. Look at verse one. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem now, there was in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roofed colonnades. In these lie a multitude of invalids, blind, lame and paralyzed. One was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus has made his way from Galilee. If you read chapter four at the end of chapter four, he's in Galilee. He makes his way up to Jerusalem. But he's in Jerusalem for a specific reason. He's not just chilling out in Jerusalem. He's there for a celebration for the feast of the Jews. And the Bible says as he's walking around Jerusalem, he walks by the pool of Bethesda and he sees a man laying there who he knew had been there for a long time. And what I found interesting when I read this is that the Bible gives us two details about the man that is laying by the pool. The first detail is very important. It says he's an invalid. Now, now, an invalid is just a person who is dis disabled by an illness or by an injury. But what I found interesting is that we we know he's sick, but we don't know what sickness he has, well, which is I don't know why the scripture just didn't give it to us because it tells us the blind are there. It, it tells me the lame is there. It tells me the paralyzed is there. But this man's issue is so bad that you don't even know what it is. It just says he's an invalid. 
We don't know what he has. We just know that he is sick. And I think that this situation is consistent with many of our lives. We feel so stuck that we can't even identify the areas of being stuck. Some of you still got a blank paper going, I don't know where I'm stuck, but I know I'm stuck. You, you, you can't even identify the area. It's unexplainable. You, you, you don't have the words to put it together. And so it feels so daunting that you don't even know how to express it to your DNA partner. You don't even have to know how to tell your friends that I feel stuck. And so you just like sum it up to say, I'm stuck. I don't even know how I am. I don't know how I got here, but I am stuck. And so the Bible says, number one, that he's an invalid. But even though we don't know his sickness, we do know the length that he's had the sickness. That's the second detail. Second detail is that he's had it. Do you read verse three with me for 38 years? Do you know 38 years is a long time to be sick? Like we read passages like this and we'd be like, oh, okay, 38 years. That's my whole lifetime. Like, can you imagine being stuck in one place for 38 years, almost four decades? You are stuck in the same place. That's the man in the text. And I think that there are a few contributing factors to why we get stuck in it so long. So some of you have been so stuck in it so long, it's become normal. It's become, as my pastor would say, functional dysfunction. You, 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 you've allowed stuck to become normal. You've allowed bondage to be part of your life, but it does not have to be a part of your life. I think you made it here today for me to yell at you and say, you can get out today. You, you can be free. It doesn't have to be a part of your life. It doesn't have to be just how it is. No, you can actually be free because the man in the text is able to be free. And I think the reason we get stuck so long, you, there's a few things for why we get stuck. There's a few reasons, but I think one of the main reasons is because we don't see life outside of it because we've invested so much time in it. And because you've invested so much time in it, leaving the situation feels like a wasted time. It feels like you, you, you've, you've ran so hard here. You've invested in that relationship. This is why people get stuck in unhealthy relationships, because I've invested in this thing. This is why people get stuck in unhealthy churches, because I've invested in this thing. This is why people get stuck on jobs that you know you ain't going nowhere. It ain't no corporate ladder move for you. You, get, you ain't got nothing else to do but collect a paycheck. You get stuck because you've invested time. And because you've invested so much time, you can't see your way out. But again, I think we can all get out today because the man was stuck for 38 years and he was able to get out. Look at the text with me because the text goes on to say that Jesus sees him laying there by the pool of Bethesda. And I love Jesus in Jesus like fashion. He asked him one question. Look at the question that Jesus asked him. Y'all still with me? Verse six. But when Jesus saw him laying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? Then he had, look, look at the answer. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going in, another steps in before me. How interesting is this, is this that the invalid man is laying by the pool. Jesus comes up. The, the one that can heal him comes up and says, do you want to be healed? First of all, my answer would have been like, yes. But he does not even answer Jesus. His situation is so bad. Don't miss it that he gives Jesus an excuse. 
He doesn't even answer Jesus and say, yeah, I want to be healed. He says, I, I would get healed, but every time I try to get in, someone else steps in before me. And this might sting just a little bit, but, but I, I mean it with all love. Many of you are stuck right now, not because of others, but because of your excuses. You, you're still on that job because of your own excuse. You, you blaming others, but really, it's you. You're not stuck because God got you there. You're stuck because you got you there. Because you, you, all you're doing is making excuses. And this is why we don't get off of those unhealthy jobs. Because we say things like, I don't know the new software. I, I don't know how to speak as eloquently as she does. He's boys with the, with, with the, uh, with the owner. So therefore, uh, I can't apply for that job. I can't apply for that situation. Because if I do, somebody else will get it. Shut up. Stop making excuses. Amen. Because that's all we do. Our lives is revolved around being stuck. Because we, we make excuses that gets us tangled in this web of being in bondage and you do this in so many areas of life you do it with starting that business I, I'm serious when I say my prayer is that the church would be full of those who, who desire to be entrepreneurs my prayer is that it would be full of a business owners you know most millionaires own their own businesses and we need y'all to spread love in here <laughs> And so I pray, I pray, like, start that business, man. Make, make that thing work. But the reason we don't start that business because we make excuses. I ain't got no money. I don't have the resources. I don't have the connections. But hear me and hear me well, you don't got the money. You don't got the connections. You don't have the resources. But I'm so grateful I serve a God that got all connections, that got all the resources, that can hook me up. That's the God that I serve. God that owns a cattle on a thousand hills. That's the God that I serve. And so we get stuck because we make excuses. I can't start that business because I don't know how to write a 501c3. I don't know. How to, yeah, you might not, but there's resources around you. But what we do is we get stuck because we make excuses. Many of you are stuck in that marriage and not, I'm not saying get out of it, but you feel stuck in the marriage. And the reason you feel stuck is because you're making excuses. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, all we do is argue. She'll never see eye to eye with me. Like your situation is so unique. Nobody ever got out of that situation. Uh, I, there's no way that, that he could trust me after this breach. All you're doing is making excuses. And the reality is with a little bit of counseling and a lot of Jesus, you can make it out of that situation. And, and so we we get stuck because of excuses. We've allowed excuses to become, it makes stuck normal. It makes, what we do is we get so into it that you start to forgive dysfunction. And you make excuses for dysfunction. That's the worst. Anybody ever did that? Where you start making excuses for dysfunction? Okay, the rest of y'all not being honest. Y'all know we do it. We make excuses. 38 years, this man lay by a pool. Like, listen, I would have I understood if he made an excuse year one. I would have maybe understood year two, but 38 years later, at this point, you just got comfortable. At this point, you're, you're just you're, you're good with it. You've allowed that situation to become so normal. And the other part of it is you're dependent on people because the man says nobody else will put me in, in, in the pool. You're waiting on someone else to put you in position to get unstuck when you got the power to do it with Jesus and Jesus alone. But you're waiting for other people. Why are you waiting for other people to do what only Jesus can do? First of all, it's unfair to put them in a position to where Jesus and Jesus alone should be. But most of us in this room, we're waiting on that one person that's going to help us. We're waiting on that one person to give us that loan. God can do it without the loan. You're waiting on that one person to give you the job, but God can do it despite that person. 
And you came here today for me to, I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you. Your, your avenue of getting unstuck may not revolve around people. Stop blaming everybody else. I will walk in purity, but I can't walk in purity because every time I try to walk with the Lord, somebody slide in my DMs. Now you just have no discipline. You, you just don't have the discipline. And so you're blaming others for your seasons of being stuck in reality. It ain't no, first of all, ain't nobody sliding in your DMs. Can we... Oh y'all, y'all, hey by always in my DMs. They always give me the heart eyes. Bruh, come on. Come on. So the unstuck is you. Now, now don't hear me say don't depend on people because every now and then God does send people by to help you along. But you got the power with God and God alone to take back that situation. I love the way Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 was saying now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. Watch this. According to the power that works in us, not in somebody else. Put me in the pool, but in us. So you got the power to take back that situation. Stop making excuses, excuses. And so Jesus says, do you want to be healed in verse six? But look, look at his answer. Verse seven. Sorry, I have no one to put me in the pool in the water. When the water is stirred up. And while I'm going in, another steps in before me. Jesus says to him, watch how dope Jesus is. Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Notice Jesus heals him without the pool. The man was laying there for 38 years because he thought that his healing was in the pool. Jesus like, I don't need that pool. I, I got I got all power in my hand. And Jesus heals him despite the fact that see, when he heals him, what Jesus does is he changes the process. He gives him a paradigm shift because what the man thought he thought his healing was in what he saw for 38 years. And many of you are stuck because you think that getting unstuck revolves around the way you've seen others get out. But in reality, the way that you get out, God might do something new because I serve a God that is a creative genius. I serve a God that has made us all different. I, I am not normal. I am peculiar. And so therefore, how he gets me out might not be the normal way he got you out. Yeah. Look at your name and say, how he got you out might not be how he gets me out. You're not talking. Look at someone else and say, how he got you out might not be how he gets me out. Because he specializes in doing new stuff. This is why none of us in this room got the same fingerprint. The reason we don't have the same fingerprint is because he's made you unique. He's made you different. And therefore, how he gets us out is always different. And so he looks at the man. He says, what do you do? Get up, take up your bed and walk. Jesus heals him. He changes the process that he's only known for 38 years. And he says, I got a new thing. And hear me and hear me well. Some of you, your biggest way, your biggest, the biggest way you'll get out is by looking at the process differently. Stop it. Stop expecting it the same way that the way you thought the plan you had to get out, scratch that and allow Jesus to write a new plan because Jesus always changes how how we think about stuff. And so Jesus is so creative here. He's like, listen, you thought I needed the water. And, and so what, what would happen is normally in that time, there was a myth that there was a belief that an angel would come down to the water 
and trouble the water in such a way that the first person that got in would get healed. Now, I'm not saying people didn't get healed when they got in the water. There could have been, you know, sometimes you go to those uh, the, to those springs with the with the water that comes from the mountains and there's certain minerals and healing agent in it. Some people also believe that it's close proximity to the temple made the water some type of healing station. And so he laid by the pool and really believed that what his 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 his, his avenue of getting out was through the pool. And Jesus is like, I don't need, notice that there's no verse four in your Bibles. Did like look at your Bible? It goes from verse three to five. The, the reason it does that is because in modern uh, in modern translations, we have more material. We're able to look back at ancient documents. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found later, and so we're able to look back at ancient documents. And when they look back at the a- ancient documents, they realize verse four was never in there. In other words, verse four would have said an angel would have came down and stirred it up. But Jesus is like, I don't believe in myths. Move that out the way. How I'm going to heal you is something so special and so unique and so you like it's going to be normal for you, but it's not normal for everybody else. And so Jesus, he, he heals him and bypasses the process. And I don't know why I'm sticking here, but let, let me just say one more thing about this. I think social media doesn't help us with comparison. This is why we always think God to do it the same way, because we look at social media and, you know, you can social media over beautifies the process every day ain't always a good day because there's, there's power in the angle, the filter and the lighting. Oh, you act like you all don't use Snapseed and Moonlight. Son, that'll make you look nice on a bad day. It, it just it just doesn't. So, and, so, and so what we do is we compare with others and we look at how others were brought out. and We're like, oh, I want that for my life. And God is like, but I got something unique for you. I don't need the pool. It's me that's going to heal you, not the pool. And so Jesus actually hears him, uh, heals him in verse number nine. OK, so so far, if you're writing notes, stop making excuses. It's not helping you. Stop depending on others. That's not helping you. Stop thinking that my road of getting unstuck is the same as everyone else's. Now, here's the big question. After God does take me out of this situation, what am I supposed to do? I love the rest of the the passage because it actually tells us what to do. Here it is. Give Jesus the credit. See, y'all act like we don't take credit for, for getting ourselves out of it. Look at what verse 10 says. It says, so Jesus said to the man who had been healed, I mean, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me said to me, take up my bed and and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as Uh, For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, see, you are well. Sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. And I told you to underline verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And so in other words, the man, the man who got healed made sure to give Jesus the credit. Now, what I found interesting and, and I try to, you know, by God's grace. I've been privileged to be around some really good Bible teaching. 
I was mentored by Dr. Eric Mason, who I would argue is one of the greatest theologians of our time, one of the greatest uh, urban apologists of our time, uh, was discipled by him for two straight years before planting this church. By God's grace, I got my undergrad degree from Karen University, formerly known as Philadelphia Biblical University. Currently, I'm enrolled in RTS Reform Theological Seminary. And with all this good uh, uh, exposure to good doctrine and good teaching, there's something I missed in the text that there's something that I, I always misunderstood about this passage see I thought that the Jews were mad because the man was healed on the Sabbath that's not why they're mad they're mad because the man is walking around with his healing on the Sabbath they're mad because he's walking with, look at what they say why are you carrying around the mat not why are you healed why are you carrying around the mat on the Sabbath? Because in ancient time, it was very clear that you could not carry your load on the Sabbath. You could not carry a burden on the Sabbath. In fact, let me put Bible there so you won't look at me side eye. Jeremiah 17, 21, it says, uh, but do not bear your burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in the gates of Jerusalem. To carry a burden on the Sabbath work was considered work. But the man who got healed literally could have said to the Jews, I'm not carrying a load today. Jesus has already carried my load. That the man who got healed literally could have said, I'm not against Jeremiah 17. I'm not carrying a burden. Jesus carried the burden. That the man who got healed literally could have said, I did no work today. Jesus did the work. And, and here, here's what I know about Jesus. Jesus doing the work, he always, always, always wants the credit. When he heals you, you become a walking testimony. You become a, when you get unstuck, you become a billboard to the power of Jesus Christ. The man that laid by that pool for 38 years, hear me and hear me well. Everybody in Jerusalem would have said, while he's carrying his mat, that's the invalid that laid by the pool for 38 years. And then they would ask him, who healed you? And he became a testimony. And he could say, Jesus healed me. So every time, see, you thought that you getting out of that situation was for you. You getting out of it ain't for you. It's for you to be a walking billboard for somebody else to see the power of Jesus Christ. So Jesus has carried my load. And the greatest load that he carried actually wasn't physical healing. You know, Jesus could have like all of the healings that Jesus did in the New Testament didn't make a dent in the amount of people that were sick. What's interesting is in the pool of Bethesda event, only person that was healed was the man that was laying there for 38 years. But the Bible said they were blind there, that they were paralyzed there, that, that Jesus didn't come simply for physical healing. He came for a spiritual healing and the greatest burden he's ever taken was when he got on the cross and took your sins. See, you came in here going, oh, I'm going to get unstuck. Some of you don't know Jesus, and that's the worst stuck right there. That's the worst situation to be in. But the same Savior that is able to remove sickness from this man is the same Savior that is able to remove spiritual sickness from you. Who in this room doesn't know Jesus? Who in this room feels stuck? Who in this room is tired of being on that job and you want to start that business? Who in this room? Who is that in this room? I prayed for you all week. Because I pray for you because God doesn't want. He said, I come that you might have life and have it. See, he didn't come for you to be in a situation that you want to be out of. And I don't care what season feels like you've wasted. There are no wasted seasons with God. He uses good seasons and bad ones. 
Some of you in here, you feel like that season is just a waste of years. No, it's not. God redeems what the years that the canker worm has stolen.